Live from the Mecca Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where we are learning together how to walk as Christians in the age of fulfillment. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Uh, having an inquisitive and sometimes an intrusive disposition, uh, I've met a lot of people and have been able to get them to talk about their life and their values, especially relative to religion. Uh, and I, I've read William James' uh, book, The Varieties of Religious Experience, a couple times, and then over the past 40 years have had a focused observation of people in general and often in public settings and learning what makes them tick and how they relate to the rest of the world and what kind of lives they live relative to the things that they experience and know. And I've watched a few hundred, maybe a thousand, I don't know, souls leave the confines of Mormonism and venture out to other religious and non-religious expressions. And I've observed Christianity now firsthand uh, from the Calvary Chapel mindset for a more, you know, two or three years close, full-time, and have had the opportunity then to observe the lives of charismatics and hyper-zealots and fanatics and intellectuals and sinful saints and Calvinists and the focus that they have on their lives. Well, tonight, I want to group all of these expressions together uh, and just gather everybody from whatever it is into a group of those who primarily, and that, that word's important, who primarily stand on what they have experienced. I'm going to talk about, that's what we titled the show, Are You Experienced? Kind of like Jimi Hendrix uh, says in the song. Our experiences, they certainly help shape and form us into who we are and how we think. But as believers, Christians, should experience serve as a passive participant in what we are and actually do and believe Framing us and our experiences, should it be passive or should it be more uh, aggressive? In other words, as believers, do we want our life experiences to define us, to drive and shape our walk? Or should we, you know, could we uh, look to something better to mold us and form us and shape us? I propose to you tonight that believers look or might look beyond our experiences and seek for something more, something more powerful, something more influential to overtake our subjective experiences and reshape them and us into something that's perhaps more balanced, something more reasonable, something less material and human, something more spiritual and godly. In downtown Salt Lake City, many homeless people could be categorized as people who have allowed themselves to be defined by their experiences. I converse with them all the time. And when the rubber meets the road, you generally learn from an alcoholic that daddy beat them or mommy didn't support them or they did this or that. And their experience has stayed with them and molded who they are. Uh, These things are real for sure. And they're detrimental to be sure. But the question again is, as Christians, should they continue to define us and who we are? Society at large is strongly moved and formed by experiential motivators. Uh, Some negative, some positive, but all point to us um, as definitive elements in who we are. 
On the negative side, we all carry around a backpack, pull of th- uh, backpack full of things that have happened to us or that we experience and give us negative or painful reactions. But on the other hand, uh, we also have a, a backpack that's full of good things that we've experienced and, and they lend to our outlook that way. Even as a culture, we are more and more embracing and welcoming experiences to continue to define us and give us meaning. And, you know, and we see it in the um, expressions in our culture, the hyper, um, the hyper drive for adrenaline rushes, jumping off buildings and doing really park, parkour and doing all sorts of things. Yeah, we're pushing it and, and the experiences are sought there. The experiences are sought in things that make us feel in drugs and, and, and alcohol more and more and sex, of course. And then we also have the music that we gravitate toward and films and, and escapism and fantasy. Our cults of personality, our, our uh, religious and social and political leaders have capitalized on the human need and desire for experience, and they have learned to manipulate us through powerful spoken word. You know, you can see Hitler up on the stand, and I mean, he was able to just move masses by the experience of Hitler and his passion for speaking. We might liken most of our experiences to, or, or call them, impactful emotional events, positive and negative. But I suggest tonight that these on either side, positive or negative, should not probably sustain us as sons and daughters of God. In fact, many of them will only serve to undermine our growth and serve to keep us captured and boxed in to a certain way of life Um, obscuring uh, the truth for what feels good or feels right. In my firsthand experience with Mormonism, I noticed uh, on my full-time mission how experiences, emotional events, were foundational to what we did. And I saw it when other missionaries, when I first went out, we'd be sitting in a... a, a, uh, investigator's house and we would uh, try to invoke an emotional experience there. And I noticed that my senior companions who I looked to would give tearful testimony uh, and they would call that emotional experience the Holy Spirit. And if they could get the other person to cry, they would say, do you feel the spirit? If they were from Utah, they'd say, do you fell the spirit? Um, and that's just sort of a little joke. Any, additionally, I've watched it as believers who are weak in their flesh and run in droves uh, to uh, hyper uh, emotional experiences, Christian concerts and amplified worship services on Sundays as the means to feel something. But those experiences are kind of like Chinese food. After two or three hours, you're hungry again. And you don't walk away really being fortified, quite frankly, when it comes to the most uh, damaged souls, I should say, that I've, I've met in my life relative to religion. Uh, they are those who have built a foundation on feeling rather than on the scripture, that they have not let the facts move them. They have let their 
feelings and their experiences with God uh, move them most. So whether it's drugs or orgies or protests at Christ, or, or out on the street or Christian concerts, the driver between, between all, uh, behind all of them, uh, is, uh, people seeking to experience, to experience something on the emotive level. God knew this about our human flesh. And that's why he gives us, gives us scriptures like Psalm 46.10. It says, be still and know that I am God. How do we know that he is God, uh, uh, which allows us to be still? What is it about be still and know that I am God? Generally speaking, we come to know God by and through his word. With the, accompanied with the Spirit. We don't know God sitting on a mountaintop and letting revelation come into us. That's experiential. That's something that causes us to um, uh, turn to what we think instead of what he says, you see. Jesus said to his apostles, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That's what he said. You notice that Jesus didn't say blessed are those who share a tearful testimony uh, or blessed are those who experience me emotionally. He said plainly, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And so I know it can be boring to some and it can lack the excitement of experiential religion. But again, from what I've seen, the most centered, stable, usually, uh, mature, peaceful souls on earth who are Christians are not those who take an intravenous line of experience and survive off that. They survive off a steady a diet of the word. And so I want to read from the last chapter of Luke to illustrate the point I'm making. And if you're a someone who tunes in to campus, apologies for the redundancy, but we learn that way, I guess. The setting is Jesus' death and resurrection, and two men are walking along the road on the third day away from Jerusalem. That in and of itself is telling. Their, their backs are to Jerusalem. They're leaving and going to Emmaus, which is about seven miles away. And we read verse 13, and behold, two of them, their disciples, went the, that same day, the day that Jesus was resurrected, to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. That's almost seven miles. Now, from the conversation that's had, they seem to be pretty disappointed. And that's why I think they're walking away from Jerusalem. They're disciples. One of them's name is Cleopas. And it's believed because of another fact, a bunch of factors I'm not going to cover, that Luke was the other one there. And, uh, and so they're walking away, verse 14, and they talked together of all these things that happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Yeshua drew near and went with them. So they're walking away. And it's also fitting that Jesus resurrected goes and he goes out to catch them. He goes out to meet with them and walk with them the same direction away from Jerusalem. And I love that fact. He didn't just, just hang out with those people who said, he's got to show up or something. He went after the ones who were like saying, ah, it's, it's over, right? And it says, and behold, their eyes were holding that they should not know him. 
Uh, and so many people think that was a supernatural blinding of those guys. Uh, but the Greek doesn't say it has to be supernatural. It could have been they just didn't expect to see him, so they didn't see him. They didn't recognize him. And Mark helps us in that because he says that Jesus appeared in another form to them. So uh, verse 17, and Jesus says to them, what manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk, listen, and are sad? So we're, we're getting the picture. They're kind of bummed out. What's affected your mind so much that you're walking away sorrowful as you talk? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said unto him, are you, are you a stranger in Jerusalem and have not known the things which are come to pass in these days? And he, Yeshua, said to them, what things? And they said to him concerning Yeshua of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people. Now notice how they describe him to this stranger who's walking with them. Uh, Jesus has asked them what things had transpired. And they said concerning Jesus of Nazareth, listen, who was, not who is, who was a prophet mighty indeed, that means in miracles, and word, that means in his teaching and preaching before God and all the people. Now, notice they didn't say that what happened to the Messiah. They didn't say what happened to our Lord and Savior. Because at this point, it seems like they didn't believe he was that anymore. Hence, they're walking from Jerusalem, in my estimation. That's how I interpret it. And they did distinguish him, uh, though, Jesus, as not a fraud. They distinguished him as a teacher sent from God who was mighty in word and deed. Verse 20, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have, and have crucified him. Not had crucified him, have, meaning the guy's still dead. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, in addition to all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Meaning, he didn't come back like we anticipated that he would. And, uh, you know, he's dead and the anointed one is not the one who's going to emancipate us from Roman rule, which was their expectation. And three days to a Jew was meant dead, for sure dead. So at now, verse 22 and 24, the plot thickens. And the doubts of these men is kind of expressed more, but not completely directly. But it says, Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. So they mentioned the, the women who went to the sepulcher first. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they also had seen a vision of angels that said he was alive. Now, I think they're just adding this to the story. I don't think they believed it. Because if they believed it, they wouldn't have been sad and they wouldn't have been walking the other way. They would have been in Jerusalem excited to see the Lord. Verse 24, And certain of them which were with us, Peter and John, went to the sepulcher and found it, even so as the women said, but they didn't see him. So it seems that these men had given the report that the women at the grave said his body's missing, an angel said he was alive, but the two disciples who went, Peter and John, didn't see a body and it seems like Cleopas and his partner didn't believe Jesus had risen, that he wasn't the one that was going to emancipate them, that he was a great prophet and a great teacher, but they were sad about what had gone on. Uh, I've, I can support this view 
of these two. And I've never heard anyone teach this. I've never heard they were doubting, ever. Uh, maybe I don't listen to enough preachers. Maybe I should. But they obviously were doubting because of what Jesus says next in verse 25. He says, oh, fools. He calls the two walking away fools. And it doesn't mean moros, morons. It means, oh, you who are slow to hear and slow of heart to believe. Oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Okay. And so he reproaches them for not perceiving uh, what the prophets had predicted about the Messiah. And, uh, and all that the prophets have said. Interestingly, many of our modern higher critics like Bart Ehrman reject what the prophets have said about uh, Yeshua and his rising from the grave and everything else. But here Jesus said to these two, you fools, don't you know what the prophets have said about the Messiah to come? Ought not, verse 26, Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Meaning, shouldn't have the Messiah have suffered these things in order to enter into glory? But Yeshua doesn't stop there. And what he says is really important to the point I'm trying to make about experience. And, he sa and it says, And beginning at Moses... And all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And this is my point. Yeshua could have said, Ta-da! I'm here. Look at me. Touch me. Feel me. Experience me. Woo! Look at me. Experience, right? And that, I mean, if that was the thing that humans should be looking to have, it would seem like in the resurrection, resurrected body, that would have been the thing he does. But that's not what he does. In fact, it's so odd that as the resurrected being, he stops and teaches them what the scripture says about him. Isn't that wild? That he had experienced death, he had resurrected from the grave, and yet, we have the fact that they are expound, he is expounding the scriptures to them to open up their eyes. That is a fantastic uh, uh, thing to look at and recognize relative to experience. That even seeing Jesus as a resurrected being was not enough. Was not enough. The Lord himself felt it was also important that they look in the scripture to see that the Messiah from scripture would be resurrected, put to death and resurrected. I think it's fascinating. But listen to what happens next. And they rose up the same hour. Remember, it was night. Remember, they said, abide with me is even tied. You know, stay with us. It's dark. It's dark now. They rose up the same hour because Jesus has disappeared from them. Poof. The road to Emmaus. And they, it says, and they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. So they walked seven miles back to Jerusalem and found the 11 gathered together and them that were with them. And they were in a closed room. 
We know that from other reports. And they said the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. I skipped that part. And as they, the two men on the road to Emmaus, thus spoke, Jesus stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And they were terrified and affrighted and supposed they had seen a spirit. And Jesus twice asked them, why are you troubled? Why do thoughts arise in your heart? He says, behold my hands and feet. So he gives them an experience. He says, behold my hands and feet. It's I, hand, handle me, touch and see. A spirit has not flesh and bones as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and feet. And then we read at verse 41, and while they yet believe not with joy... So they weren't convinced yet, even though they had seen this and had that experience. Isn't that interesting that doubts can still come in with experience? But uh, he says, do you have any food? I'm going to show you, an, I'm going to give you another proof that I'm not a spirit that you're so afraid of. And he, uh, and they gave him a piece of broiled fish and honeycomb and he took it and he did eat it before him, before them. Okay. And so I'm not going to go into what that is relative to the resurrection, but you can watch our sermon at campus from last week because we do that then. Um, but he has them looking at him, touching him, eating food with his resurrected body. And he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was with you, with you. Meaning here is the fulfillment of everything I said to you. And all things must be fulfilled, he said, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. So again, he brings up the scripture to go hand in hand with the experience and then listen to what he does with these disciples because it's the same thing he did with the two on the road to Emmaus. It says in verse 45, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scripture. It's really, again, interesting. Jesus just didn't say, here I am. And they say, you're resurrected. And he said, all right, you've had the Jesus experience. Now go out and teach. Go out and tell. Go out and testify of it. He takes the time in both settings to establish what was said in Scripture. We can't overstress this enough in the lives of believers today who live in an age of experiential religion, of the concert and the sermons, you know, the sermons of Paris get you all fired up. And never forget that even after showing himself twice in his resurrected form, Jesus then took the time to open up the scriptures, all of them, and explain them in depth to those who were there. Why? Because it's this means that by this means that by this means that God works with us. It isn't through the emotive experience only. And even that is icing on the cake. The cake is the predominant part, and that's the word. And your experiences are then fortify, fortify the word a little bit because your experiences are in harmony with the word and you're blown away. But you don't reverse it and make um, experiences the cake with a very thin icing of the word. 
that makes you a very weak and malnourished Christian. And you will forever be running around trying to have more experiences, which are not, will not change you. God said it's the hearing of the word that will change you. Reading of, hearing of the word, the word by the spirit, the word by the spirit. And if you find yourself getting away from your um, walk with God and your fruit of the spirit, you got to get back in the word. I teach it and I preach it to everybody I meet. And so few can do it because Jesus said why. He said why when he uh, taught the parable of the sower. He said the cares, which means poverty and difficulty or riches of the world, world uh, cause us to take our time to do other things. And I think it's a bad choice if you seek to walk in the spirit because I don't know what to liken it to in this life. Uh, I guess it could be likened to someone who doesn't have a body that produces uh, good uh, uh, things in them and they have to take supplements. And it's like saying, I don't need supplements. I won't take supplements uh, or eat right or exercise, whatever it is that your body needs. To the body, it's vitamins and supplements and eating right. To the soul and the spirit, it's the word of God by the spirit. And uh, write your comments below uh, about this. Tell us what you think, and we'll discuss them tomorrow night here on Heart of the Matter.